Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. It's great to be with you guys back here today. Hello, online community. Great to be with you as well. How's everyone doing? Yeah? Does anyone like notice the glorious weather this week? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so January and February aren't really my months. Um, not sure if you guys thrive in all conditions, but this whole like socked in gray weather thing, it's just, yeah, I'm like, please God, does the sun even exist? Let me see the light of day again. So I'm, I'm kind of in like this trudge zone here right now, and, and I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but even this morning I was like, oh no. Like, there is no sun today, is there? And, um, but I was just, even as we, I, we were worshiping, reminded of how um, our God and how Jesus in his resurrected form, his face is compared to the sun, like shining like the sun. And I was like, God, this morning in this church, would your face shine upon us? And would we all get some sort of supernatural de-infusion? So that is what I am believing today. Not entirely sure how biblically or theologically accurate that is, but I don't care right now because I think we all need a bit of a boost, right? So, um, um, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Would we just feel your refreshment in this place? Um, because because I need it, and maybe you do too. Anyways, yes, as Jeremy uh, said, my name is Kimberly. Um, my husband and I are associate pastors here. I live in Vernon with him. He's preaching in Vernon. And our lead pastors, Pastor Dave and Kim, they are in our Revelstoke location this morning. Um, so yeah, we are all over the place, getting together, talking about God, worshiping, dropping our kids off in the back room somewhere. So um, it's really it's really great to gather again. And as a church, we, are, um, we have started a series titled Contrast Community. So how many people know that the church is intended to be a community that is in contrast to the world around us? Right, Romans 12.2 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Or in John 17, Jesus talks about how we live in the world. We live in Kelowna or Vernon or Revelstoke or wherever, but it doesn't necessarily mean we think the same ways or or subscribe to all the cultural values or systems around us. But sometimes, unless we intentionally take the time to think things through, it's pretty easy to absorb the beliefs and worldviews around us if we're immersed in them all the time, right? So that is what this series is about. This series, it is going to challenge you, maybe provoke you a little bit, but it's definitely going to bless you. So if you haven't yet, I encourage you to buckle up. It's going to be good. Uh, We're going to get to some scripture right away, because I know if I read scripture, I am guaranteed to have done that much right. Hallelujah. Romans 6.4, we are dead to our own ways, but alive in Christ. Just as a seed must enter the earth and die before it becomes a thriving plant above ground, we also must die to our old selves before we can blossom into the newness of Christ. And then Mark 8, 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The title for my message today is Underneath Our Decisions. Come on, everyone say it with me. Underneath Our Decisions. I know, that was a little awkward. Um, I'm going to say it, and then you say it. Ready? Underneath Our Decisions. 
Thank you. Your grace and encouragement is profound. Um, <laughs> so I, um, I invite you to do a little time travel in your imaginations with me this morning. Let's imagine that our lives are taking place in the place um, and, and time of Jesus. So 2,000 years ago, in an area we now know as Israel, um, we're under foreign rule, and nothing exciting has really happened in a long time regarding like major prophecies getting fulfilled or, or miracles or just supernatural things. We've just sort of been like existing, like we believe in God and here we go. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. And he is causing all kinds of trouble with both political and religious leaders. Right? He's, he's controversial, but he's also pretty exciting. Your neighbor claims that uh, he healed her niece last week, right? The guy that, that you get your fish from, he said that he was at a gathering where Jesus multiplied just a little kid's food, just a little kid's lunch, and multiplied it to feed thousands of people, right? You've heard some of his teachings, and when Jesus preaches, when he talks, it's like people are in awe. He is teaching things and revealing things about Scripture no one's ever even thought about, right? People are saying that, Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe he's the one to bring freedom and victory and a new kingdom for us and our people. And you and I, we're starting to think this might be the case. And we want to be a part of it. We want to be be on the winning team. We want to live a life of meaning and purpose and, you know, supernatural excitement. We want to build this kingdom. So how? How does one do that? What What are the rules and what are the requirements to following Jesus? And Jesus can sort of sense this question among us, and we're not the only ones. So he gathers, first of all, his disciples to himself, and then he gathers the crowd closer to him, of which we're a part of. And he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Pause. Could we just like rewind for a second to the part where you say, to follow me, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross? Like Jesus, um, didn't you come to empower your people? Didn't you just say you've come to set us free? And yet, the very first instruction that Jesus gives regarding anyone who wants to follow him is deny yourself and take up your cross. Like for a guy who claims he's come to build his kingdom on earth, he's not starting off with the most appealing advertising campaign. Right? Can you imagine if we did this here at church, like C3's next Instagram push, like come to our church where you have to deny yourself and die. Like it's not, that's not getting approved. But Jesus says quite clearly, if anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to live the type of life I am living and serve the same purpose, then self-denial is required. Now, I don't know for sure about you, uh, but the suggestion to deny myself does not sit well upon first listen. And perhaps that's because in our context, um, sometimes when we hear the word deny, we hear like refusing to admit the existence of something. Like, do I deny that I exist? Or, or maybe when we hear deny, we hear um, a sort of diminishing of our self-worth. But that can't be what Jesus meant because it's not consistent with anything else he taught. Right? There are so many scriptures of how, how much we are loved and how much we are known and seen by God and valued by God. 
So if devaluing ourselves isn't what Jesus is asking us to do, if beating ourselves up isn't the goal, then what does Jesus mean when he challenges us to deny ourselves? All right, so we're going to look at a few other translations to help us get an overall better idea. So the New Living Translation says this. Then, calling to the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Another translation says, Those who want to follow me must say no to the things they want. Pick up their crosses and follow me. And another says, if anyone wills to come after me, let him disown himself. Take up his cross and follow me. So we've got give up your own way, say no to what you want, disown yourself, or give up ownership of your life. I, I don't know, does that sound any better to you? <laughs> not, not sure that improved the scenario. But I think that because our society has put such a high emphasis on self it's hard for us to even think Jesus would ask us to do any of that. Like, it doesn't even sound right. right? In order to be his disciple, we must surrender the title of ownership of our own lives. Like, mm. Instead of setting our own agenda or dictating how we're going to live, we pass that position to Christ. Um, gulp. That's a big ask. And yet, the requirement does have some logic to it. Because if we're going to follow him, we do have to unfollow ourselves. If we want to do things the way he did them and get the results that he got, we're going to have to do it his way. Okay, it would be great if we could follow Jesus and ourselves at the same time. That would be my preference, that it worked more like Instagram. But we all know that's not going to work. There will be some point where the decision that Jesus will make and the decision that I would make, are not, they're not going to line up. Right? There will be a point where the path I want to go and the path that I want to take aren't the same. So when we're presented with these opposing decisions, the one we prefer or the one Jesus is asking, which route will we take? To forgive or not to forgive? To be generous or to be stingy? To complain or to focus on gratitude? And how we proceed depends on what belief is underneath our decisions. Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Or am I the way? Do I have the truth? Am I the key to life? Mark 8:34, if anyone would have to come after me, let him deny himself. Now, <clears throat> if there is a biblical concept that our community believes, that is in contrast with culture right now, self-denial's gotta be a pretty clear one. <laughs> right, the idea that we should not prioritize as the most important person in our world, it almost sounds offensive, right? Or even, even immoral in a way. Um, I was reading an article last week about a, a celebrity who split um, with her husband, and in the article she stated that he was actually a good husband, like, there were no affairs, there was no um, abuse, there was nothing wrong with their marriage per se. But she felt like their marriage was hindering her own pursuit of happiness. She was feeling like she couldn't um, fully realize herself, fully be herself. And so she filed for divorce. And probably the part that I found most fascinating was that the public response to her choice was overwhelmingly 
good for you for putting yourself first. And that reaction totally makes sense because in the culture we're living in, putting yourself first has become a guideline of how to make the best decision and the right decision. And I think many people, including myself, 100%, have accepted that if I'm feeling dissatisfied or maybe unfulfilled um, or maybe limited in some way, that these feelings are legitimate reasons to make decisions that might hurt other people or decisions that might contradict the way that God has asked us to live. Right, one of the most influential ideas of our time and culture is that individual happiness and individual fulfillment is the ultimate goal in life. Right? And to achieve this, we need to look inward. We need to look deep into our own hearts. We need to figure out what's best for us, figure out who we are, create our own truth, and then express it to the world. Right? That to flourish as humans, we need to build our own identities on our desires and our choices. And this idea is underneath so many of the decisions that are made in the world today. Right? Evidence is found in things like um, in the study of communication, the words I and me are significantly higher than any other time in the past. Right? We've mastered the art of the selfie. Yeah, got it? It's all about the angle. We admire like self-made hustlers who, who have like made gazillions for themselves, but sometimes at the expense of other people. In books, in lyrics, uh, movies, we hear phrases like, if it makes you happy, follow your heart, be true to yourself, find yourself. I'm the most important person in my life. I'm going to do it my way. And this all sounds really good. And it even seems like good advice. And I think the intention behind much of this is also good. Right? Like, I love the fact we value the individual. I love the fact we are encouraging um, creativity, um, human rights, all those things. But this me first, I decide what's best for me thinking that is pervasive in our culture has not actually made things better for us. Right? As a society, the elevation of self has not made our struggles with mental health better. Right? Suicide rates are shockingly high. We are not happier as a society. We don't rank high in satisfaction. It's as if the encouragement to focus on self has not actually benefited self. And I think one of the problem is if, is, is if we have to um, muster up our own meaning and our own truth, our own goals and our dreams, then we also have to supply the energy and the ability to sustain it, right? It's like we have to create our own worlds, but then we have to make them run too. And, and this works as long as we don't get tired or make mistakes or fail. This works as long as we remain stable emotionally and mentally. <laughs> Right? For, for a moment, it might work to put ourselves first. We might feel empowered temporarily, but part of our humanness is our fallibility. We do get tired. We do fail. And so many of us have lived for ourselves first and foremost, but we have inevitably ended up purposeless and feeling isolated and alone, addicted even. Right? This me first logic, it sounded right. It sounds right but it has not 
produced what it promises. I read a quote or, um, by an author named Jen Oshman this week, and she said, ironically, believing in yourself will not lead to freedom or wholeness or the pinnacle of your dreams, but rather to enslavement, enslavement to self. Now, in some ways, I feel like I should have seen this coming because the Bible often warns us about placing ourselves as number one in our life. Right? Instead of believing in ourselves, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, lean not on your own understanding. It says in Proverbs 28, 26, that those who trust in themselves are fools. But instead, in John 14, Jesus says, trust in God and trust also in me. In John 14, instead of being convinced that we know what's right or we know what the truth is, we are told that Jesus is the source of truth. Right, and while we hear messages constantly about how we need to be looking inward, we need to look into ourselves for answers, the gospel says, look at him. Right, culture says we got to prize autonomy above all else. But then we read Paul, the, the apostle, and he talks about how he willingly became a slave to Christ. As a community, we are different than the culture around us. We contrast the culture around us because underneath our decisions is not the question, is this best for me? But underneath our decisions is the belief that Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the life. Oh man, that is really good. I agree. But I will be the first to admit that this, this can get muddied pretty fast. Um, I personally, I've just had the personality type where I have always wanted to better myself since I can remember. As a young girl, I decided, I desired to be a woman who had um, impact, who made a difference, whose life had meaning. I remember, I wish this was a joke, but it's not. I remember turning 16 and um, going through a bit of a depression uh, because I had not accomplished nearly as much as Joan of Arc did at that age. I remember people praying for me and uh, as a young person and being like, you will do great things and these anointings will come upon you and you will shift this and go to the nations, blah, 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 and like great things, whatever. And these things, they, they fueled my desire to actually be something, right? They fueled my desire for my life to matter. And so as a result, I kind of went on like, I don't know, self-improvement binges, like I would do self-taught courses. I would try to learn languages. Totally fails at that. Um, I would try to train myself to like foods I didn't like. I would try and read the top 10 most important books. Also didn't, didn't get through that. Um, but I kept, I kept trying to do these things because I didn't want to fail the potential that God had given me. I'd one shot my life on earth. I don't want to fail at it. But as the years continued, I found myself deeply disappointed in how my life had progressed, disillusioned even, feeling like I could have done so much more by now, I should be doing more by now for God, I should be so much more. And I'd look at other successful women in the areas of academia, in the areas of ministry and in motherhood, and I'd feel like a failure. And it's like within my attempts to better myself, to figure out my own way to become a better version of me, I became exhausted, tired, restless, unsatisfied, discouraged, you name it. 
I was running on empty because my fuel of self had run out. And I realized that even in my intentions to serve God, I had bought into the, the worldview that personal fulfillment and satisfaction would be accomplished by focusing on me. That underneath my decisions was still the belief that it was up to me to make myself worth something, to find my way, to make my life have meaning. But it's, it's the irony of the more I focused on me, the more lost and out of focus I actually became. And thank you, Jesus, although I forget this often, I do now know that it doesn't matter how good I am at life, how capable I am, if I'm connected enough or known enough, because it's not about me. It's about our King Jesus. It's the gospel message. It's not about me, but what Jesus did for me. It's about his victory, not our failures or our successes. It's about his strength, not our strength or our weakness. You see, in, in my story, in my testimony, true joy and fulfillment was never going to come from a new self-improvement strategy. It wasn't, and there's nothing wrong with those. But true joy and fulfillment was not going to come from working harder to make my life what I wanted it to be. It was actually going to come from handing over ownership of my life to God and then just relaxing in my identity as his daughter. And this has been the most freeing revelation. Because you and me, we, we don't have to prove ourselves to anyone. We don't have to stress about whether we've made it or not. We don't have to stress about finding self-fulfillment before we die. We don't have to work to be more, to want more, to do more, to increase our value because we've already been chosen. Right? We, don't, we don't have to try and be the successful stars of our own story because we're actually part of a greater story, one that goes beyond our short lifetimes. We, we don't have to give meaning to our own lives because our lives already have meaning. We just get to uncover it. And we uncover it in places like church communities. This is one of the best places to do that. So Jesus, when he says this difficult thing to hear about denying ourselves, he isn't, he isn't asking for ownership of our lives because he is power hungry. Jesus is not saying he wants us to deny ourselves for the sake of it but because he has a better way. We give up ourselves and we end up with him. And when we are united with God, our creator, who knows how we function, when we are united with him, it is then that those, those massive basic human desires are met to love and to be loved and to be known. The best version of ourselves is not found when we look inside ourselves, but when we look at him. Romans 6.4, we are dead to our own ways, but alive in Christ. Just as a seed must enter the earth and die before it can become a thriving plant above ground, we also must die to our old selves before we can blossom into the newness of Christ. So yes, our decisions in our community often seem in contrast. They often seem countercultural. The way our community does things might be different. We deny our natural impulses when they aren't in line with God's will. Sometimes we deny ourselves convenience. 
Sometimes we deny ourselves the chance to be popular. We say no to ourselves. But we do this because underneath our decisions is the belief that we are not self-made creatures. We are God-made. We deny ourselves because we know that ourselves alone cannot contain all he has for us. We deny ourselves because we know we are a part of God's story, one that involves Jesus and the pursuit of his bride, the church, all of us. And we deny ourselves because we know even if we're going through sufferings right now, it is nothing compared to the reward that he has for us, both in this life and the life to come. Corinthians calls it, sometimes calls it an incorruptible crown. Can I get some music back, if that's all right? So denying yourself, it's not the end. It's the beginning. Right? Handing over ownership of your life, it is not about obliterating yourself. It's about starting a new life. In a very tangible way, Jesus lived this out like physically for us. Like, we know that Jesus didn't actually want to go die a torturous death on the cross. But underneath his decisions was the belief that he shouldn't choose what's best for him, but that he was going to obey his father. There wasn't going to be a resurrection unless there was first a crucifixion. There wasn't a new and the better without the old passing away. Matthew 16, 25, for whoever wants to save themselves or save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So, what's underneath your decisions? And is it working? Does it need to change? I think for many people, both Christian and non-Christian, we need to let our old way of doing things pass away and refind ourselves in Him. So there, there is a version of ourselves that keeps God at bay, that, that keeps sin from capping our relationship with God. There's a version of ourselves that likes to stay in control. There is a version of ourselves that, that believes our way is truly the best way. We gotta insist on that. But church, I think it's time that we let those versions of ourselves go. I think God is asking us to lay it down, to let, let that die. And this can be painful and this can be hard, but it has a beautiful life-giving result. As we just read, there is a newness available to you on the other side of surrender. Mark 8, 34, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel would save that. So my prayer today is that we would have the strength to believe and pursue this sort of divine paradox. That as we turn our focus to Jesus, that as, as we turn our focus off of our own lives, that we actually find it in Jesus. Would you guys stand with me for a moment? You guys have been amazing. Um, 
yeah, I will have you up actually. <laughs> you guys have been amazing. Um, Self-denial is uh, you know, not the easiest topic to talk about. It's like up there with tithe. Um, but I felt so strongly that we have got to grasp this again because there's more places for us to go as a community. We've got to grasp this again because some of you have not experienced the freedom that God has for you. We have got to grasp this again because God has so much more for each and every one of you. He really does. He really does. And Scott and Johanna are going to um, lead us in that one last song again. I, I'm going to stand up here if anyone would like prayer, if anyone wants to recommit or resurrender to God to hand over the ownership. But if you don't, I just encourage you to hear the words that Scott and Johanna are singing, to sing those words and make that transition again in your mind. He is worth trusting. He sees more than we can see. God, you see more than we can see. You see the beginning from the end. You see every relationship, every person, every hurt, every wound, every fear, and every blessing. You also see every breakthrough. You see every healed relationship. You see every miracle, God. And God, I do not want to cap myself anymore for all you have for me. God, I don't want our church to be capped for all you have for us because we don't want to let go of our own way of doing things. And so, Jesus, I declare, and on behalf of anyone who agrees with me, that again, Lord, would we die to our old selves, our old way of doing things, and would we embrace the newness of you? Would there be a blossoming of new life in this church? Give us the courage and the grace and the understanding to make that choice. I thank you, God, this is not a one-and-done situation, but you say we make this choice daily. We mess up, we go astray, we, we take leadership back. But God, would we hand it back again to you again and again. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.